You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hey friends, before the next episode, I wanted to share a bit more about my virtual recovery community called The Recovery Collective. For less than a cost of one therapy session per month, our members get access to workshops, group coaching with me, cook-alongs, yoga, recipes, meditations, and even a private Facebook community. It is seriously the most fun community in the eating disorder recovery world right now. If your eating disorder is making you feel isolated and alone, this place will lift your spirits and bring you the connection you're looking for. So I ask you to join all of us. Go to recoverycollective.mykajabi.com or you can check out the link in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you inside the collective and enjoy this next episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. Today, I have another solo show for you, and I wanted to chat with you about something that really inspired the members inside the Recovery Collective, and that was when I pretty spontaneously decided to share how my relationship with food has evolved over time. And I think the reason why this was so helpful for everyone in the group was because it showed them that after recovery, everyone's relationship with food will still look different from one person to the next. And even when you are a recovered person, you can continue to work on improving your relationship with food. So I wanted to dive in and just first explain that everyone has their own relationship with food that's unique to their needs. So outside of eating disorder world, a busy mom might want a relationship with food that's convenient. Maybe she's looking for foods that will be nourishing to her children. Maybe she wants frozen microwavable foods because she only has, you know, 10 minutes a day to prep meals, whatever that is, her relationship is going to look very different from perhaps a trained chef who has a very rich and exploratory relationship with food where this professional chef might be discovering flavor combinations and recipes for a lifetime and maybe that chef gets really inspired and excited by doing this and then we can traverse over to the idea of maybe an athlete who isn't really interested as much in 
combinations of flavors, but they're interested in fuel and nourishment and eating for optimal performance and making sure they eat enough calories for all of the energy they're expending every single day. To put it even more clearly, I want you to think about your relationship with food right now. A person in recovery has a completely different relationship with food than your average person. When you're in recovery, you have very different goals related to weight restoration and nourishment, and you have to do things that are actually not really intuitive at first with food. You might have to eat a meal plan. You have to eat even though you feel full or your body feels uncomfortable. That is okay, and that will change the more you work towards your own recovery goals. Now let me bring it back to my relationship with food and how it has evolved over time. During my eating disorder, my relationship with food felt like a literal drill sergeant living in my head and it was running my life. I felt constant obsession about food. I think I was spending all my time thinking about food and what meals I was going to eat. I felt like I had very strict and punishing food rules. I lived with a ton of guilt because I gave myself zero permission to eat freely. And I also had so many food rules that whenever I broke them, I would just mentally beat myself up. So the beginning of my eating disorder was very rigid, very mean and inflexible. My inner voice was super loud and it was just not fun and then after a long time of this rigid eating i shifted towards this chaotic relationship with food so that means i went from a lot of restriction to more of that binge restrict cycle which felt like i had way less control So this chaotic moment in my eating disorder led to feeling like I could walk in front of a cabinet at midnight in the pantry and just black out and eat everything in front of it. And even though that was a much scarier part of my food journey, looking back at it, it was the beginning of getting better because chaos meant I was willing to let go of control and it wasn't purposeful letting go of control but on a subconscious level it was getting to the point where this rigidity of food was no longer sustainable for me at all so the chaos required me to learn a lot about connecting to my intuition so that I could pull things back and reclaim my healthy power around food because let's be real here when you're living with a very rigid eating disorder you might feel like you have power around food and that you are in control but your eating disorder just gives you the illusion that you are in control because if you're obsessing about food that means food has all the power. It's just like a bad relationship. If you're obsessing over someone who's not texting you back all the time, they're the ones who have all the power. 
It's just like your relationship with food. So on a side note, healing your relationship with food means letting go of that obsession and being able to live in the present and feeling neutral around food. Yes, you get really excited around food, you know, when things are new and delicious, but you're not emotionally going through a roller coaster. That's not the kind of excitement we want. So I had this chaotic relationship with food and it probably lasted mm, maybe several months. It wasn't too long of a period in my life. And the biggest possible shift that happened in that moment of chaos was when I really only started to care about eating what I actually wanted. That was the only way I felt like I could reclaim my power because I could feel intuitively that the chaos was coming from constantly denying myself what I wanted. And whenever I denied myself the scoop of ice cream and went for something healthier instead or something more safe, it felt like an actual violation of myself. It started to become very clear to me that it was unkind to constantly deny myself what I wanted to eat. I always imagine that I was like a kid reaching for the cookie jar and then swatting my own hand away. And that's not a fun way to live. So during this chaotic period of my life, there was a wise part of me that was like, you can find power again if you just listen to the part of you that knows what she wants to eat and go with that. So my relationship with food shifted into knowing that I am better off going with what sounds good over what my eating disorder said. Asking myself, what do I truly want to eat right now? And then refusing to listen to any diet culture chatter that was maybe in my head or around me. So if I wanted a cheeseburger, I was going to have it. If I wanted ice cream, I'd have it. And if there was anything in my recovery that felt like going all in, that moment was this one. And it was a powerful shift because it was the first time I was giving myself complete permission to choose the foods I actually wanted. I stopped looking at the diet sections of menus, the low calorie options, and I was just picking everything that I knew would satisfy me. And I was aiming for satisfaction above all. And let me tell you that one of the secrets to recovery is being able to give yourself the food that you want in the moment, because what that does is it neutralizes food for you. If you had a cheeseburger every day for three weeks because that's what you wanted, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there will be a point where cheeseburgers just feel no longer exciting to you. (laughs) Neutralizing food means that you have to stop putting some foods on a pedestal and 
demonizing other foods. They're all the same. They're always available to you. You do not have to over-focus on the brownies your mom made because if you wanted to, you could have a brownie today and you could make your own batch of brownies tomorrow and have those again. The ultimate goal here is to just make sure that you no longer have forbidden foods or anything that you're not allowing yourself to eat. And just notice when you hesitate to eat something, it's probably connected to your eating disorder and go against it. In this point in my recovery, when I was just focused on satisfying my needs, really leaning into what I mentally wanted as opposed to what I logically or intellectually felt I should have, it was a very powerful moment. And because of this, I actually did not take nutrition into account at all. It was like I lost the brain power to deal with thinking about food. (laughs) Because if you think about it, if you spend years of your life obsessing over food, there might be a moment where your brain just says, F it, I'm not going to think about this anymore. And that's exactly what happened to me. I just relied on the concept of choosing what I wanted to get me through and that built body trust because I realized there were times I really did want something that maybe diet culture would say was unhealthy and then a few days later I would be craving salads and all the things that diet culture said was healthy. If there was ever a moment I was tempted to diet, It felt like I had burned out and spent all my possible energy on that already. And there was like an actual zero tolerance around thinking about food too much. My brain would just turn off and I think it was a protective thing for years. I did not take into account nutritional information, but nothing bad happened to me. I repeat, I spent years of my life not paying attention to nutritional information and nothing bad happened to me. And that is because I trusted my body's needs and it all balanced out anyway. I could have stayed in that place for a lifetime. That is an okay place to be in. Remember, over-focusing on nutrition information is kind of a privilege thing. A lot of people do not have the money to purchase tons of highly nutrient-rich fresh foods anyway. And their bodies survive and even thrive in that space. In reality, your diet doesn't have a huge impact on your health the way we're all taught that it does. I really do believe things like ancestry and genetics and environment and stress levels all impact your quality of life and longevity and health way more than what your diet looks like. And proof of that is really when you look back at your ancestors, like for instance, I'm Irish, my ancestors ate meat and potatoes and probably not a ton of fruits and vegetables and 
I have grandparents who lived into their 90s. So what does that say? Hmm. It just proves that diet, eh, we put a little too much emphasis on it and we think it's going to magically bring us lifelong health. Anyway, back to my transformational story here. To recap, I went from super rigidity to then chaos and then more neutrality with food and this intuitive responsiveness to my body. By that point, I considered myself fully recovered. And for years, it wasn't a very glamorous relationship with food. It was highly responsive. It was coming from a place of compassion. But I had very little intention around my meals and all that. And that's totally fine. I was living in a place of maintenance and being protective of all my progress. Thinking about food too much was a direct threat to my recovery. And at least that's what it felt like to me whenever I tried to maybe eat more whole foods or whatever. My whole brain was like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to go down that path. Let's just keep eating what we intuitively want to eat. And I stayed in this place for probably a decade. And it is a wonderful place to be because food no longer takes up the brain space that it used to take up. Before I sat down to record this episode with you all today, I looked at the 10 principles of intuitive eating online. And I was able to narrow it down to three that really helped me move from that chaotic place into a more neutral place. And I wanted to share those three principles with you today so that you can start transforming your current relationship with food to at least one that is recovered. And recovery is going to look different for you than it did for me. But the first most important thing you need to be doing to move to a more peaceful relationship with food is honoring your hunger. When I was in this place of chaos, I realized that I had to stop denying myself food when I wanted it. I know all of you can probably relate to feeling hungry at 11 a.m., but lunch is typically at noon, so you just suffer for that hour and get yourself so then you can eat at the designated time. I want you to throw those rules away if you can and really be as responsive to your hunger as you are with the call to use the bathroom, which is always the best comparison in my opinion. When I was in that place of chaos, I realized I had to just respond immediately and it doesn't matter if there's a meal or a snack coming up. I can make adjustments as I go, just make sure that I have enough. So I can picture everyone's eating disorder being 
like in this negotiator mode where, oh, well, if you respond immediately, then how is that going to impact your meal plan? Blah, blah, blah. The key is to keep steady with the meal plan and any intuitive hit to eat outside of that plan is considered extra. And that is okay because in recovery, you're supposed to be eating more anyway. Today, I actually had a client reach out to me explaining that she was waking up in the middle of the night hungry. And this client of mine is doing a great job following her meal plan overall, but she's waking up in the middle of the night hungry and it feels a little scary to her. So I mentioned to her that when I experienced that, I would get out of bed at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever time it was, and just respond to that hunger by eating a bowl of cereal or some sort of safe snack. And first of all, I slept like a baby after that. But secondly, it's a great example of responding to your hunger whenever it shows up outside of meal plans, outside of designated meal times or snack times. And I would wake up that next morning maybe at 8 or 9 a.m., and I would still have my full breakfast. Granted, I wasn't on a plan, but I wouldn't skip breakfast because I had cereal at 3 or 4 a.m. I would just continue on with the day. And that is the beauty of honoring your hunger. You realize that your body isn't lying to you. When it says it's hungry, just give your body food. It's like a pet. When your pet is whining because it's hungry, you give your pet food. It's that simple. The next principle that I really connected with in recovery that pulled me from chaos to peace was the principle of feeling your fullness. And when I was in that state of chaos, I was binge eating a lot And at first, that binge eating felt like I couldn't stop eating. And oftentimes, I would eat to the point of being overly full or uncomfortably full or even feeling sick. And I was like, I cannot control this. I don't know when to stop. And over time, I was able to build up the wisdom and trust to mindfully start responding to these actual feelings of fullness. And at this point, it wasn't the type of fullness you might have when you have anorexia and you're just slowly building upon the meal plan. At this point, I was eating a lot of food and that fullness was coming from a place of eating large quantities of food in the form of a binge. The reason why I was able to kind of lasso in my ability to feel my fullness and respond to that without feeling overly full or too sick was because I was giving myself full permission to eat. So throughout this process, I was taking those foods off of pedestals and learning that I can have those foods at any time whenever I wanted. So this need to binge started to dissipate because 
I realized I could have food at any time and I was no longer restricting or denying myself food. So feeling my fullness actually really helped me tap into my intuition on the other end of the spectrum. So we have hunger. I was getting really good at honoring my hunger and fullness. I was really good at responding to fullness as well as a signal of you can stop eating now and you feel satisfied and let's move on with the day. Please keep in mind that fullness is a tricky one and a lot of times our eating disorders like to lie to us and tell us that we're full when we're actually not or tell us that we're full because we've eaten everything on the meal plan when in reality we still want more. So I want you to call yourself out in those moments and know that the place of feeling your fullness and responding to actual fullness as a sign to stop eating comes very far along the recovery journey, okay? It's a high-level skill in recovery that if you have a very restrictive pattern in your eating disorder, this might be a tricky one to tap into right away. I would say general rule of thumb is if you are on a meal plan, if you're feeling full, always eat the whole meal plan anyway. You are not at the point where you can lean intuitively into your fullness like I was in this part of my journey. And finally, the third principle that really pulled me from chaos to peace was discovering the satisfaction factor in food, which is what I've talked about extensively already. So asking myself, what do I want? And listening to that so that I can be satisfied at the end of every meal. And I want you to think of every meal and every snack as an independent experience when the ultimate goal is satisfaction physically and mentally. You want to be so physically satisfied and mentally satisfied that you can leave that meal and move on with your day. We do not want to be lamenting over the decisions we made. We don't want to feel guilty about them. We don't want to be longing for something else. You really want to keep your meals in the moment and then move on. And the only way you can truly do that is by listening to what you want and making food decisions that are aligned with those intuitive hits. And that's how you do it. So what this looks like in recovery is, for example, going to a restaurant and opening up a menu and ordering what sounds good. If you're in the mood for chicken carbonara, you go directly to that and order that. You're not over planning, calculating, negotiating with yourself. You just listen to that part of you that knows what you want and trust that and go with it. And there's a lot of beauty in that and a lot of freedom in that. Once you start to do it, you realize you never want to make those inner negotiations again. It's no fun. Why compromise when you're in control of your body? You are the ultimate decision maker and you're the only one who's going to be experiencing that meal. 
And the fun part about discovering the satisfaction factor is that the entire food experience gets so much better because when you go to a steak bar with your friends, you can order a delicious steak bar with potatoes or french fries or veggies or whatever it is and really revel in that moment and eat food that is appropriate in that moment instead of going to the diet section and having the tilapia with freaking boiled vegetables because it's the lowest calorie option it's like when in Rome, do what Romans do. That's what you could do at restaurants. You can have the thing that they're well known for and not use this diet section of the menu or shoot for things that are low calorie because your eating disorder is telling you to. So your entire experience with food becomes so much more enriching and cultural and fun because you are choosing foods that also feel really amazing in the moment that fit with the vibe of the restaurant and you're taking recommendations from the waiter who the waiter never has diet recommendations they're always telling you the most delicious thing and you can go with that and i'm telling you once you have the courage to do this once or twice it gets so much easier and you'll never want to look back to your old ways because in those moments at the restaurant if you think about it your eating disorder was really a killjoy it took out all the fun and being able to choose what truly satisfies you is going to make your entire experience so much more amazing my recommendations for you friends is really in order to really take your eating disorder to a place of peace, you really do want to honor your hunger, feel your fullness, and discover the satisfaction factor. That's really what happened for me. Finally, you might be wondering, Meg, what is your relationship with food like now? How have you transformed? And I gotta say, I was in that neutral, responsive place in my recovery for several years and it was a great place to be I could have stayed there forever but recently over the past few years I would say maybe the past year or two now that I'm working more in depth with dietitians who are super passionate about food and I'm talking about food all the time with my clients I'm starting to wonder how can my relationship with food transform I am feeling called to take it to the next level, take it to a really fun, exploratory level where I'm focused on things like flavor and quality and experiences and recipes and things like that. So my hope is that I can transform my relationship with food to one that is more intentional, but this time putting things like flavor first and experience first. I've been doing this in small ways. So recently I discovered how amazing fresh bakery bread is and I have refused to make sandwiches with basic sliced bread ever again because I'm mind blown 
by how awesome and exciting my sandwiches can be if I just switch up the bread. And now I'm adding things like pesto and sun-dried tomatoes and arugula and chicken and all those amazing things into my sandwiches. So I went from having boring, simple sandwiches to taking them, at least in my world, to the next level, which has been so much fun for me. And I'm not taking into account nutrition, more so I'm taking into account what's going to taste awesome and what can I do at home to give myself almost a restaurant-like experience at home. Of course, there are going to be days where I just have your basic sandwich and get on with my day, but it is really fun for me to think about how I can add a little bit more flavor and quality into my meals. I also have a few wonderful people in my life who are very much into cooking. My boyfriend's mom is this amazing chef and I really admire how she plans out the meals for the week. She gets really excited about new recipes. She's on Pinterest looking up fun things to do, cute little appetizers for family events and all of that. And I'm just blown away by her passion and excitement. And I love seeing how food is a form of love in her world. It's a chance for her to really make the house a home. It's a chance for the family to come together and also for her to show how much she loves and cares for the people around her. So I don't know if I'll ever get to that level, but I'd love to aim somewhere in that direction where I can plan a few meals a week that are maybe a little bit different than what I usually do and use meals as an experience to show my love to other people and just make my quality of life a little better. So for instance, I recently went grocery shopping and I decided to look up a new recipe and I'm going to attempt to make my own Alfredo sauce and make, what is it? Shrimp Alfredo with broccoli. How fun is that? And it's going to be amazing and delicious. I have this nice angel hair pasta to cook with it and I'm super excited and stoked. And so the reason why I share this with you is because once you're recovered, your relationship with food is always evolving. Food really doesn't have to be scary anymore. It can be something that you fully embrace in your life. Another thing that's helped me get to this point where I'm ready to take my relationship with food to the next level, which is kind of funny to say out loud, but it's really been having our cook-alongs inside the Recovery Collective. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Recovery Collective is my membership where people who are in eating disorder recovery can join. And every single month we offer different live events. And one of those events is a live cook-along where we bring on my friend Talia, who is an amazing dietitian. She was actually on one of my previous episodes and she will guide us through cooking a new recipe together. And to be honest, it's my personal favorite event of every single month because it helps me 
evolve my relationship with food even though I'm recovered. So I'm learning how to make new sauces or try out new ingredients that I've never been exposed to. Like recently we had an entire cook-along where I was totally blown away by the concept of halloumi cheese. I mean, come on. I had never heard of it before. I'm from the United States. Apparently it's popular in Europe. But without this opportunity, I would have never learned to cook with that ingredient. We've also cooked with interesting flavors like miso, which I had never purchased before. And what did we do this month? Oh, this month we cooked with lentils and my family never cooked lentils growing up. Exploring new recipes with the collective has been fun for me because it's expanding my world a little bit. And there you have it, friends. That has been my food journey. That's how my relationship with food has transformed over the years. And I hope you can take some valuable lessons from this and maybe some inspiration. I want you to recognize that your relationship with food is going to always be so much different than those around you. And to be honest, going through recovery is going to give you a much more stable relationship with food than the average person one day. Because the average person is always pretty influenced by diet culture. Just from my observations, if you haven't been through eating disorder recovery, you haven't had to expose yourself to the concepts like health at every size and the intuitive eating principles. And when you haven't been exposed to those things, pretty much the only thing you've been exposed to is diet culture. So comparatively, your recovery is going to give you the education you need to have such a better relationship with food than your peers And it is pretty amazing to watch when you're on the other end because you can see people who never really had an eating disorder, but maybe chronic dieters or disordered eating and see a lifetime of struggle with them and a lot of confusion because they're constantly dealing with this hectic relationship with food that's complicated, whereas you've done the work and you've healed that part of your life and you don't have to stress out about it or overthink it anymore. It just is what it is, and you can move on with your day, as I keep saying. And with that, I just want to remind all of you to keep going and keep challenging your eating disorder every single day. When you are recovering from an eating disorder, you want to get comfortable with the discomfort, meaning your eating disorder will probably be yelling at you every single day. And if it is, that's a sign that you're doing it right. If you're feeling cozy and comfy where you are, it's probably a sign that you're not pushing yourself as much as you could be. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And thank you so much for listening. It really does bring me so much joy when I hear that these episodes helped you. So when you get the chance, please take a moment to write a review for the show. It helps spread the word and get this show to more people who need the help. All right. 
talk to y'all later. See you next time.